Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for president. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Six words to start off today's program. My head is about to explode. Jordan, who's filling in for Gru. It's Gru's birthday today, so he's taking the day off, which typically means he'll take tomorrow off, too, to recover from whatever he did today. But Jordan Jordan is with me. I appreciate that. All right. If you want to see a photograph of the person that we are about to talk about, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. There's a link to the story. Let me share the story as it appears in the online edition of the Journal Sentinel. I'm going to read this. It doesn't take very long. Headline says, West Dallas police officer may have suffered a career-ending injury while arresting a drunk driving suspect. A Milwaukee man is facing four felony charges after allegedly kicking a West Dallas police officer in the groin so hard during a traffic stop that the officer fell over and suffered a spinal injury that has put his career in question. Officer Ryan Kendall remains on medical leave since the mid-July incident. His encounter with Elvis Garcia... And that's the person we're going to be talking about. 36 left him, this would be the officer, with spinal stenosis, a pinched nerve, and drop foot, a condition that makes it difficult to lift the front half of a foot, according to the criminal complaint. All right. Garcia was charged September 27th. Now, that's an interesting date as well. September 27th in Milwaukee County Circuit Court with resisting an officer, causing great bodily harm, threatening a law enforcement officer, fourth offense, drunk driving, operating with prohibited alcohol content, um, in addition to a misdemeanor count of operating while revoked. So let's review the bidding here. Here you have a guy charged with fourth offense, drunk driving, operating while revoked, so no driver's license. How often have we heard the story? Here's what they say happened. Now, follow this. On July 19th, officers were called to the intersection of South 92nd and West Manitoba Streets for a report of a man and a woman fighting. Before they arrived, though, they learned the man, this would be Elvis Garcia, had fled in a car. The suspect vehicle was pulled over along the 1900 block, 9100 block of West Cleveland. The driver, Garcia, got out of the car, laid down on the pavement, and began screaming for officers to arrest him, ignoring all other commands. Officers handcuffed Garcia and tried to put him in the squad car, but he stopped cooperating and demanded that someone take his nine-year-old son out of his car. Okay, let's come back to this in just a moment, too. The guy has a nine-year-old kid in the car. All right. Officers assured him his son would be looked after, but Garcia began threatening officers, calling them homophobic slurs, and resisted getting inside the squad car. As officers tried lifting him into the car, 
the police officer, Kendall, tried controlling his legs. Garcia voiced another threat and then kicked Kendall in the groin. The officer fell back, heard a pop in the lower side of his back before much of the left side of his body went numb. Blood taken from Garcia showed he had a point. 189 blood alcohol content at the time. So, you know, we're talking about somebody who's more than two and a half times over the legal limit, you know, blind drunk. He was convicted of drunk driving in 2005, 2006, 2014. All right, so we've got the picture of, of what's going on here. The guy, dead drunk, no driver's license, driving with a nine-year-old kid in the car, decides to resist arrest, kicks an officer in the groin, and may very well have ended this officer's professional career. You hope not, but he's seriously injured as a result of this. I told you all the various charges that the district attorney's office issued. All right, why? Why is my head about to explode on this? Let me share you with you one other dazzling detail, as reported in the Journal Sentinel. Elvis Garcia, age 36, multiple drunk driver, somebody who has perhaps ended the career of a West Dallas police officer by assaulting him. He is not in custody, but was sent a summons to appear in court on October 17th, according to court records. So in other words, Elvis Garcia is out on the street now. Elvis Garcia may well be behind the wheel of a car again. He he was released. He has not been charged. This happened a couple months ago. They finally get around to charging him, and he's on the street. He's not in custody. They send him a summons in the mail that essentially says, hey, we would appreciate if you would show up in mid-October for a court hearing. Meanwhile, the poor West Dallas police officer that was assaulted by this drunken thug, he, he may never work again. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Seriously, what's the problem with John Chisholm's district attorney's office? A multiple drunk driver assaults a police officer so badly that the officer's career is in jeopardy, and the guy continues to be number one on the street, and number two is sent a summons asking him to appear. What could possibly Go wrong. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are never going to get a handle on crime and drunk driving and assaultive behavior in this community until there is a sea change of attitudes. And this isn't the judge. This is the district attorney's office that decides we're going to send the guy a notice asking him to appear. Fourth offense, drunk driving, assault of a police officer, and, and, and he's on the street. 414-799-1620. That is the Accunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And yes, that is why my head is about to explode. Hope I don't run into this character. Hope you don't run into this character on the street while he's waiting for his initial appearance. Let's start with Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Bob. Good. Hey, I, I don't want your head to explode, but I also don't want you to hold your breath for this guy to show up in court. Well, I, that's 
Right. I mean, that that's the other thing. I, at, you know, if you're looking at this situation, you're, you're saying, you know, finally, he will probably be doing some hard time. You would at least hope that he would finally be doing some hard time. So faced with that reality, you're right. The question is, all right, does he decide that he's going to show up or not? Or is maybe this just the opportunity to say, hey, I'm I'm going to take off and I'm going to let them see if they can find me. Elvis is out of Dodge. <laughs> yeah, Elvis is leaving the building. Thanks for the call. I mean, or, or leaving the state or, or whatever. And by the way, I understand innocent until proven guilty. That That's all well and good. But, I mean, I don't understand if how you're the district attorney's office, how you can confront or face any police officer, anybody in law enforcement, when you have now somebody who has engaged in extreme assaultive behavior that could, like I say, very well have ended the career of a police officer because of the extensive physical injuries, and the guy's just wandering around. The, the guy is just wandering around, and maybe he'll show up in mid-October. I know maybe he won't. I, I don't know. Maybe he'll do something between now and then. I, I will tell you this. I mean, can you imagine if I see if I were the prosecutor here, first of all, you, you assault a police officer, you damn it, injure a police officer in this fashion. I'm sorry, you, you don't you do not pass go. You do not collect two hundred dollars and you sure as hell don't stay out, you know, free. I have you arrested and I do everything I possibly can to keep you behind bars. That is perhaps the difference between me and the way John Chisholm's office approaches, I don't know, assaultive behavior and people who, you know, present a menace on the street. Okay, so that's answer and that's point number one about all this. But number two, if I'm the prosecutor, I don't want to take a risk. I, you know, I mean, I, who knows? What else this guy could do? Now, look, I, fourth offense, drunk driving, driving while revoked, driving drunk with your nine-year-old kid in the car. All right, you know, maybe he's not going to get the wheel behind the wheel of the car again. But I will tell you, again, if I'm the prosecutor, I don't want to take the chance that he decides to, to get himself liquored up and get behind the wheel of a car again and maybe next time, you know, run through that red light and hit and kill people. I don't want to take that chance. I want to get this guy into the system as quickly as possible. I And again, I, I'm asking for a high bail because this is the type of behavior that to me demonstrates somebody that is dangerous. But of course, this is what goes on, you know, in Milwaukee County. And the, the truth is, we're not going to get a handle on crime. We're not going to get a handle on assaultive behavior. We're not going to get a handle on drunk driving as long as we just, I don't know, slough it off, continue to think that it's no big deal. Oh, so the guy assaulted a police officer and maybe ended his career. Oh, let's just bring him in on a summons. Oh, so the guy's fourth offense, drunk driving, no driver's license, etc. All right. No, what's the big deal? You know, we'll sort this all out. Well, sorry. You have to have a sea change in thinking, and that sea change in thinking starts with doing everything you can to get dangerous people off the street and keep them off the street as long as you possibly can. This is Jeff Wagner. A number of texters are making the point, why did it take so long to issue charges if this happened in mid-July and now we're, we're sitting, you know, in, in mid-September? The answer is, I, I don't know. That's that's the other thing. If I'm the prosecutor in this and somebody brings me a case and says, there is a police officer that has been assaulted by a fourth-time drunk driver and it appears that the police officer may not be able to go back to work, I guarantee you I'm not going to sit on that case for two months while the guy is just wandering around on the street. But again, that's just me. David and Allenton. David, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. Hi, David. 
Um, I got a couple concerns with this. The major concern is that you know, child in the car. You know, that, that's number one. I get the officer is assaulted, but he's an officer. It's part of his job. That kid has nothing to do with it. Why isn't the Why isn't the office pursuing charges or even looking into getting that guy away from his kid? How come he's not? How come not doing everything they can to get away from that kid? Because he's obviously not able to take care of that kid. Well, and, yeah, and I mean, you, you got farther, right. Yeah, and you pursue it farther and look at look at the city of Milwaukee. How much danger is in Milwaukee? No one wants to go there. No one wants to live there. This is why. Why is nothing being done? I challenge you to look into this. Call the DA and ask them questions on this. Because how can the public? even start to begin to trust the city if this is how they're handling cases like this. Why would we care if officers get shot if this is what they do to people that hurt officers? Well, David, I think, that, yeah, no, David, and I think that that is, that is all, those are all very, very fair comments. Why, why are people like this? And, and again, see this, I, I'm highlighting this, but this, this type of stuff, maybe not as extreme as this, but, but this type of stuff goes on on a daily basis. I have lots of friends who are still in law enforcement and they will tell you this is one of their very greatest frustrations that essentially it's, it's open season in many cases on the cops and there, there's just this complete and total lack of accountability. Now you, you couple this with the whole notion that, you know, obviously this is an alcohol related thing on top of that, but which raises the other larger point of, you know, when are we going to get serious about this? I mean, it, the people, the, these chronic, hardcore drunks don't care about the law. This guy, driver's license revoked, three prior offenses for drunk driving. He's liquored up and he's behind the wheel of a car driving away. OK, he just, obviously what we have done before did not work. Now, I mean, the good news is driving with a .189 blood alcohol level, he didn't go through a red light and hit and kill, you know, other people or hit and kill his nine-year-old son who was in the car. You know, the, the in this case, the victim of his assaultive behavior was a police officer, and, and that's, you know, you're going to have to pay for that as well. But, I mean, how many more people like this Elvis Garcia are out there on the street driving around dead drunk, posing dangers to all the rest of us? And, and when we catch them, don't we have an obligation to do everything we can to get them off the streets and to keep them off the streets? And here, we're issuing you a summons to show up in mid-October. To me, that's, to me, that, that's kind of like, oh, the house is burning down. Let's watch the house burn down. And gee, after it's burned to the ground, maybe we'll get out a garden hose and kind of like hose off the embers. Frustrating as heck. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As long as we're talking about stuff that makes my head explode. If you are out on a boat in Lake Michigan, and it's one of those boats that has like one of those like little internal toilets in it, you know, that and and it gets full and you decide that you're going to take, you know, the, the waste that's in one of those little toilets that's on the boat and you dump it into Lake Michigan. All right. And they catch you. You are in so much trouble. You are in so much trouble. You you just don't know what trouble is. And you're going to get charged and you're going to get fined. And you know what? You should. Because you should not be polluting the waterways in that fashion. So I, I'm all in favor of that. And I'm certainly not encouraging people to dump you know untreated sewage into Lake Michigan. Because if you do it, you're going to be in trouble. Why then do we tolerate 
this being done on a regular basis around here. Now, I was on my river cruise last week, but I was hearing reports of the massive, the massive rainfall we had here. And all right, now MMSD is confirming that last week, 282 million gallons of wastewater and stormwater were dumped into local waterways. This is the second time this year that over 280 million gallons of bad stuff, including poop and all those things, have been dumped into the area waterways. Now, I understand MMSD, and I I, I don't pick on MMSD because the, the, the choice is, hey, the deep tunnel is full. We either have to let stuff back up into people's basements or we have to dump it into, you know, the area waterways. So it, it's it, it's just... I get it. You know, they don't want to cause millions and millions of dollars worth of damage. But my question is, to the people around here in authority, how much longer, particularly the liberal elite who pretends to care about the environment and clean water and gets all worked up over things like climate change, how long are you going to let the city of Milwaukee and Shorewood get away with causing Hundreds of millions of, do- of of gallons of untreated wastewater and stormwater to be dumped into the lake every time we get a heavy rain. The answer, of course, is it is going to continue to happen until these communities bite the bullet and they separate the combined sewer system, separate the sanitary system from the storm system, because the deep tunnel is inherently flawed. It can never be deep enough. So... I mean, for everybody who gets worked up about, again, pollution, I I get it. I understand. We all want clean waterways. But why don't we make Shorewood and Milwaukee actually the largest polluters around here? Why don't we make them bite the bullet and say, all right, you got to separate these sewers once and for all, because just like we won't tolerate somebody dumping a a toilet on a small boat into Lake Michigan, we're not going to tolerate you dumping hundreds of millions of gallons of untreated wastewater and stormwater into the lake. Just asking. It is one of the most successful business startups of the last decade. And government is about to kill it. I am talking about ride-sharing services like Uber and Lyft. Uber started about 10 years ago. I think 2010 is where they really kind of started to roll out Uber in um, in California. Everybody knows the business model for Uber. My guess is you probably have an app on your phone that allows you to summon an Uber car. Um, Justin, you you got you are you an Uber guy? I actually am, Jeff. You are no, sure. I mean, I I don't use it that much, but a lot of a lot I know a lot of people do. But I've got the app on there. You know how this works? You, you don't you don't have to flag down a cab. It's and you know Milwaukee, for example, has never been a great cab city. All you need to do is you've got the app. You once you've downloaded the app, you just open it up. You punch in the information about where you are, where you want to go, and somebody comes and they pick you up and they take you to your destination. It has been an incredibly successful business model. So successful that it's running lots of cab drivers and lots of cab companies in, particularly in larger cities. It is running them out of business. Uber is part of what they call the gig economy, if you hear that phrase. It doesn't refer to like like gigabytes of things. It refers to gigs as in jobs, like the performer, hey, I've got a gig on Friday night, I'm playing my banjo down at the, at the thing. 
gig refers to the whole concept of temporary uh, positions, typically, you know, a job for a specified period of time. You hear it with musicians. But Uber is one of the driving forces of the gig economy. As a general rule, Uber does not have many, if any, full-time employee drivers. What happens is, and I'm going to oversimplify this because I know many of you, maybe you're an Uber driver yourself. The idea is, if you want to drive for Uber, it's your own car, you have to have your own insurance, you have to go through a background check, then you need a couple other things. But essentially, you then decide, hey, I want to go out and, and I want to I, I want to drive for Uber. And what happens is, you know, you've got your app, and so when somebody... Somebody says, hey, I need a ride. I need to get from WTMJ down to the Pfizer Forum, and they put that information in Uber. All right, it, it, they, Uber, again, the, the network that Uber has, they send out that information, and there are various people who are driving around. Um, they can then decide if they want to take the route or not. And if you're an Uber driver and you decide you want to take the route, you accept it, you go, you pick up the person at WTMJ, you drive them down to Pfizer Forum. It's a no-cash business. It's all handled by credit card. Uber gets like a third of it. The driver gets the rest, right? That's the bottom line. It's tough to make a living being an Uber driver. It's just because of the various expenses that go along with it. At the same time, if you're an Uber driver, you, you get to decide when you want to work and when you don't want to work. So it's one of those deals where if you're sitting at home and it's, I don't know, you know, 8.30 on a Friday evening and you don't have anything going on particularly and you decide, you know what, I want to go up and I, I want to make a little bit of extra dough. So I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go drive around and I'm going to, you know, shuttle people around for a couple hours. You can do it. If you don't want to do that, though, you don't do it. You just stay home. You get to decide, if you're an Uber driver, when you want to work, how long you want to work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you decide, hey, I only want to do this two nights a week, that, that that's fine. But that's the way the business model is set up, and it has been incredibly successful. Now, I was talking about this with a number of people when we were on our, our trip last week. California has now become the first state to pass a a law, and the governor just signed it, I think, yesterday. Um, But other states are now looking at this, which essentially does away with the Uber business model. What it says is that Uber employees, instead of being independent contractors, if they decide that they want to drive for 30 hours or more, and keep in mind right now, if you're an Uber driver, you get to decide when you work and how long you work. But if you decide that you want to drive for 30 hours or more, you are no longer an independent contractor. You become an employee of Uber, which means you're subject to guaranteed minimum wages. You're subject to um, health insurance benefits and all these different types of things. Uber doesn't offer health insurance benefits to, to the drivers. Okay, on the one hand, it's, it's great, I guess, for the drivers because, hey, they're going to get more money, presumably. There'll be wage floors. They're going to get benefits. But the effect of this is to essentially destroy the Uber business model because – Uber's model is, hey, we have independent contractors, and all we do is we hook the independent contractors up with the the people who say that they need the rides. 
So the effect, I think, of this is to essentially cause Uber and Lyft and some of these other car-sharing services, ride-sharing services, I think it's going to cause them to simply shut down in the states where you have these rules. Also, to the extent they decide not to shut down, what it's going to mean is Uber is going to, if I were Uber, start limiting drivers' abilities. So in other words, they're saying, hey, you can't work when you want to work because we don't want to let you get 30 hours. So you are going to be capped. You can only drive 25 hours this week. And you might say, hey, well, I, I'm, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, on, I, I'm, off, uh, I'm on vacation from my regular job. I want to I wanna make some extra money this week. I, I want to drive 40 or 50 or 60 hours. They're going to say no, because if you drive more than 30, you are going to be a full-time employee. Okay, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Nobody holds a gun to anybody's head and says you have to drive for Uber or Lyft. It is, by and large, a part-time job to allow people to pick up some extra dough um, to, to help them along. If you treat these people like employees or the government comes in and says they're going to be employees, I think it's going to change the business model. I think Uber is going to, in many cases, they just might shut down and not operate in states like California because it's not what their business model is. And to the extent they do choose to operate, I think they're going to say to a lot of these drivers, okay, you, you can't drive as much as you want anymore. You have to be limited, or we're going to start telling you the hours. You want to come out, and you only want to drive from um, – over rush hour from like three until six. Sorry, we're not going to let you do that. 414-799-1620. That is the accurate mortgage talk and text line. I, this, I think, will destroy Uber. It will destroy the business model. And at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to benefit the vast majority of the people who drive for Uber. 414-799-1620. Tell you what, uh, let, let me give Jordan a chance to line up the calls. Back with them in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Uber and Lyft say that if this law goes into effect, like it's scheduled to January 1st, their costs will increase 20 to 30 percent. Now, no business can take a cost that increases at 20 to 30 percent unless it substantially passes those costs on to, again, the users or it makes substantial changes or it just decides it's not worth it. All of those three things, I think, are likely and, and candidly. In the law, as we talk about, of unintended consequences, I, I think you do this, and I think the people who are going to lose are, by and large, the people who choose to drive for Uber or Lyft or whatever, who you know use it not as a full-time gig, but rather as an opportunity to make some extra money on the side. They work when they want. They don't work when they don't want. When they don't want to, I, I think that's going to go out the window. Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're first. Good afternoon. All right. Hi, Dave. Um, my son does this driving, and uh, he works for both Uber and Lyft. Right. So if you are limited to 30 hours with one or both of them, well, you can get up to 60 hours by working for both. There's always a workaround. Yeah, I mean, there, right, there. there's a workaround, but it's going to put a lot more than responsibility on, on your son because he's going to have to do it. I think what's more likely to happen, Dave, is I think Uber or Lyft will start assigning hours 
to so they can control it. They're going to say, okay, to your son, you, you can only work, you can't work when you want to work. You know, if you're going to drive for us, you're going to have to drive from three until seven or, or whatever those numbers were. I think he's going to lose a lot of its flexibility because that's the only way that Uber or Lyft can control how many hours the person drives for them. Well, to an extent, I yeah. mean, they can track your hours, and once you get up to the max or close to the max, they say you're done driving for us for the rest of this week. Yes, yes. In they... which case, but also the thing is, the reason why he drives for both is because he's in the Milwaukee market, and there's not enough uh, requests for him to make nearly enough money just driving for one or the other. Right. He has to drive for both. How many hours a week would you say he How many hours a week would he, you say would he, you say he drives? Even with driving for both, I bet you he's lucky to make 40. Lucky to make 40 because even if he's on yep. call, right, because if he's on because of the market. Right, if he's on call, right. No, thanks for which is why, you know, what one of the things they're saying is that if this actually goes into effect, what what Uber or Lyft will do is simply not schedule people in some of the slow hours. You know, maybe morning rush, afternoon rush. You know, maybe after bar time. But the bottom line is, if you do this, it takes away one of the appeals that I, I think Uber and Lyft have always had to the drivers. Is it gives them it it gives them the flexibility. You can work when you want. You can work the hours that you want. It's really, like I say, it's not intended. I don't think it's ever been intended to be like a full-time family of four supporting job. And and candidly, it's a tough way to make a living. I don't think I'd want to do it if I thought I had to do it to try to make a living. I don't know that you can do it at that rate. All I'm saying is I think if government moves in, it kills the business model. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Chris in New Berlin. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Chris. Um, I have a friend who did Uber just kind of sporadically, usually weekends to pick up extra money so he could take vacation, but then he got laid off. And he did full-time Uber while he was looking for jobs, so he would not drive when he had interviews and things like that, but then that means he wouldn't be able to be getting his income when he needed it if they did that. Yes, right, right, yeah, exactly. There would be, you know, you, you become an employee, and there's all sorts of great advantages to being an employee because you, you would get benefits um, if you're more than 30 hours, um, but you also have regular schedules, which isn't what the model is for, for this business. And I guess that's kind of, that's sort of my point. You lose that flexibility. No, no thanks for calling. I have a note here um, from a guy who says, hey, look, I, I'm an Uber driver, and I, I love the idea of, of being an employee of uber okay well i i i understand that because then you know you get the benefits and all that i'm just saying that i think if you were that's not uber's business model and if you require uber to do that to make people you know employees and treat them as employees and give them benefits and it runs your costs up what's going to happen well some of that gets passed on to the consumer so it costs you a little more to have an uber or a lyft ride but i think the more, more likely thing is that you're, you're going to see a lot fewer people who are going to be allowed to drive for Uber or Lyft because the, the company's not going to be able to make those payouts. That The business model is you're an independent contractor. You're not an employee. Now, from the employee's perspective, from the driver's perspective, yeah, you get all sorts of stuff, but a lot of people are going to end up losing their jobs. 414-799-1620. Alex in Mequon. Alex, you're on WTMJ. Yes, uh, you're probably aware that Uber went public with their stocks 
recently, and and it came out that they are losing billions of dollars yep. every year, and they're never going to agree to to do this. They're either going to limit the number of hours, or if they have to do it, they're going to raise the rates in that area by probably fifty or sixty percent. Or they're just going to pull out. Or they're just going to pull, pull out. out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be a lose lose for everybody involved. It's very. Almost similar to what happened with Obamacare, when they said if you have more than thirty hours of work, you have to get, get right. health insurance. They, they people just hired a bunch of part-time people. So, right, you know, or you know what you know what we did at, at you know what we did when this company was owned by Scripps when they, when they put that into effect, we had part-time workers who were working thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight hours a week and were perfectly happy with that. Once they put that in. Um, they said if you work more than thirty hours, you got to get benefits. Well, they just cut everybody's hours back to twenty-eight hours, so the the people didn't get benefits, and they got ten hours less, you know, on a paycheck every week. It was it was just mind blowing, but it's how it's how employers responded. Yeah, so this is going to be a disaster for Uber for the employees, and it's going to have the opposite effect of what they wanted to accomplish. I, right. Th- thanks. Right. I, I, exactly. I mean, look, I, I understand that the notion that we, you know, we, we, we don't want the, these drivers to be taken advantage of, et cetera, et cetera. But you're exactly right. I mean, the, these companies are hemorrhaging money. The stock prices are falling and, and their business model is based on treating these drivers as independent contractors. And the, the, the course that, like I say, the value that the driver gets is, the flexibility and freedom to work when they want and how they work. What they lose is they don't get benefits and they don't have that, that minimum wage floor. I don't think it's a great deal to be an Uber driver or a Lyft driver. So, I mean, I, I understand why that would have an appeal to people. I'm just saying if this law goes into effect, I think the way Uber is most likely to respond is to just simply say, okay, we're cutting back hours dramatically and or we're not going to do business in this community. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, you've uh, alluded to my points earlier. Uh, I talked to that producer, but uh, it's going to have Uber and Lyft. They're going to tell people when to drive. They're going to assign hours, give them assigned territories, and that's the appeal that people, they want to have the freedom to pick when they want to work, where they want to work. And right. uh, I, I think, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not an Uber driver or don't know anyone who is, but I would think the appeal is you have that flexibility. Yeah, for, I think for a lot of people, and I'm generalizing now too, but the people I know who, who drive, it's a very part-time sort of thing. I mean, they, they've, generally speaking, they've got other jobs. They do it for pin money. You know, it's like, I, I didn't have anything to do on Thursday night or, hey, it's New Year's Eve. Um, you know, I know I can bake a bunch of money because they've got that surge pricing. So they pick yeah, and choose when they do it. It's, it is, it's a, it's a gig like, Hey, I've got a speaking gig or I've got, you know, a performing gig or whatever. It's really not intended to be one of those full-time sort of jobs. Yeah, casino money or vacation money. Exactly. No, no thanks for the call. And again, I, I this is the category of be careful what you wish for because it might come true. I I think if if this starts to become the norm, do not be surprised if there's dramatic cutbacks in hours, dramatic increases, and I wouldn't be surprised if the states that adopt this, I wouldn't be surprised to see Uber and or Lyft or these other ride-sharing companies, I wouldn't be surprised to simply say, okay, we're, we're not going to do business. This this law makes it impossible for us to do business, so boom, Uber is gone, so the drivers lose their gigs, and everybody who has been used to using Uber or Lyft, you know, they're out on the streets. Uh, again, don't be surprised if that's the unintended consequence that happens happens from this. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to the show. It is not a Wagner's rule of life, but perhaps it should be. When you go around carrying guns and you run from police, bad stuff frequently happens. I want to talk about the story out of Racine yesterday. There's a lot of public outrage in certain communities because of a decision not to bring criminal charges against a police officer who last June shot and killed 18-year-old Tyrese West. Now, if you haven't heard the story, let me give you a little bit of the underlying facts here. Tyrese West, um, number of prior contacts with law enforcement before this fateful night in June, including multiple alleged incidents during which he fled from police. There was apparently one incident in which he was reportedly in a car that was involved in a drive-by shooting. I bring this up just as background. All right. um, On the night of June 14th, apparently... Before the shooting, which happened about one thirty in the morning on the 15th, the night of June 14th, um, Tyrese West had been at a party in Kenosha. He left the party in a stolen vehicle with four other people. The stolen car was pulled over by Kenosha police. All five occupants in the vehicle fled. Four of them were stopped at the scene. Tyrese West got away. So that's kind of the background that takes us where we are, one thirty the following morning. What happens is there is a Racine police officer, um, an experienced police officer. His name is Eric Giese, and he is on patrol. Now, apparently in this particular area where, where this all happens, um, there had been multiple reported robberies that had been committed by individuals riding bikes. So the police are alerted, you know, be aware. We've had lots of robberies that are by committed by people who are on bikes. Okay, so about 1.30 in the morning, Officer Giese's on patrol. He sees this bicyclist who's riding without lights on the bike. That's what starts this whole thing. The officer tries to pull the, the, the bike over, you know, because he's, okay, there's no lights on there. This is an area where there's been crimes. He tries to investigate. All right, so what happens is that the bicycle appears to have been written by, being ridden by this Tyrese West. Instead of simply stopping, West takes off, all right, um, starts fleeing from the police officer. The police officer starts chasing him. At one point in time, apparently, the, the guy, the kid falls off his bike or gets off his bike and starts running. Now, while, so now you have this, this chase that is, you know, going on. Um, it's become on foot now. Following a short chase, the officer says that he sees the kid, the person that he's chasing, has a gun. He orders him to stop, stop, drop the gun. Kid doesn't. The officer pulls out a taser and tries to hit him with the taser. Now, this again, they're they're all moving here. According to the report, the taser didn't didn't reach him, didn't reach the guy that's fleeing, didn't reach West. At that point in time, though, the 18-year-old stumbles. He falls to the ground. The gun 
drops. Okay, so the gun is on the ground, but it's it's right by him. It's not like the gun has gone feet away. The gun is just kind of inches from this. So the officer catches up to the guy he's been chasing, this Tyrese West, straddles him. Now, on the one hand, that the on one hand the officer's got his radio and he's calling this in. On the other hand, he's got his gun, and he is ordering. He's saying, "Look." Submit. Stop doing this. You know, he's standing over him. And apparently at one point in time, he puts he puts his hand, his foot on the kid's hand to stop him from reaching for the gun. Officer says, all right, I'm telling him to stop struggling. He's trying to just kind of reach for the gun. I what I want to try to do is I want to kick the gun away, you know, kick it away from the, the kid. But I, I just I'm afraid if I do that, I'm going to lose my balance because I've got, you know, both of my hands full here. The, the kid is struggling at some point in time as this is going on. And, and the whole thing happens like in, in the space of like 60 to 65 seconds. What happens is the young man who's on the ground gets his hand free. Hand apparently gets free from underneath the police officer's shoe or foot or boot or whatever, at which point in time um, the police officer fires three times. You know, he takes a step back and then shoots the person on the ground three times, twice in the head, once in the shoulder, I believe, kills kills him. And that's, that's essentially the facts of this. I, I don't think that there's... I don't think that there's too much controversy over, you know, what exactly happened. We don't know the the quote unquote victim story in this because, you know, he was killed on the scene. But the the evidence appears to be consistent with that. You've got the chase. The 18 year old is armed. The officer says, hey, I was trying to subdue him. He was resisting arrest. The gun was there. I kept telling him, stop doing that. Don't reach for the gun. He reached for the gun. and, And yes, I shot him. All right, so that that's kind of the background of this district attorney's office, based on reports that were prepared ultimately by the State Department of Justice, makes a decision last night not to bring criminal charges against the police officer, saying they feel that this was a legitimate exercise of self-defense under the circumstances. As you might expect, the family of the young man who shot is not happy with that. There's all the protesters that are out there saying, you know, no, no justice, no peace, etc. Saying we need to have the feds come in and take a look at this. We think this is an outrage. Our number four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think these are always extremely unfortunate situations. You know, we, you know, we we don't have the death penalty in the state of Wisconsin for anything, much less for you know fleeing police officers. But under the circumstances. One thirty in the morning, somebody who is armed, who's fleeing police officers, who refuses to obey instructions and who struggles with the police and has a gun nearby and at least by all the objective testimony appeared to be in a position where he was reaching for it and, and could, in fact, have been reaching for it. I don't think the officer has to wait until the kid gets the gun in his hand and pulls the trigger before he fires. This is an unfortunate situation. It is a tragedy that a loss of life has occurred. But why did the loss of life occur? Well, it occurred because the guy going armed ran from the police and refused to simply comply. 414-799-1620. Do you think the officer committed a crime? We discuss in just a minute. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. It's hard for me under these facts to conclude 
anything other than what the district attorney in Racine concluded, which is this is a legitimate exercise in self-defense. And no, I don't think the police officer was wrong under these circumstances. It is a tragedy, but it's a tragedy brought about by the behavior, in this case, of the victim. We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Not even close to a crime. I mean, at some point, people have to understand that when you're given a command by a police officer or any kind of you know, any public, you know, official like that, law enforcement, comply. What What's so hard? I mean, I really don't get it. I mean, it's, it's like, what do you expect? What's he supposed to do? Like you said, wait till he gets shot at? Well, well right. And you're, you're talking, I mean, look, these police officers, you know, they, they don't know what they're dealing with here. But what this guy knows is that he's dealing with somebody who's fled from him. It's not like he shot the kid in the back or anything like that. You're in a what, potential life and death struggle. You're by yourself. The guy's got a gun. He's presumably, at least according to the officer's testimony, reaching for that gun. You're in a struggle. He keep telling him, stop doing that. Don't reach for the gun. You reach for the gun. I don't know what you think is going to happen. Well, yeah, Bad stuff. I mean, you're assuming that there's, you know, the guy's going to try and kill you. I mean, I feel sorry for the officers that, that have to pull, you know, pull over a car on a, on a, on a you know, in a real deserted area or whatever and, and whatnot, and they have to walk up to it. I mean, right. it's just. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. Right. And, and again, thanks. I mean, it, it is, un, it is unfortunate that this is the result of this. Because like I said, we, we don't have the death penalty in the state period. And, and whenever you have one of these police involved shootings, well, okay, there, there's no winners here. I, I, I know some people don't believe this, but I guess I, I just, I know enough police officers and I've known enough police officers over my entire career. A police officer doesn't wake up in the morning saying, gee, I hope today is the day that I can get involved in a chase, foot chase, at one thirty in the morning with somebody who is armed and running away from me. I, I, I hope I hope this is the day that I wake up and I get to get involved in a you know life and death hand to hand struggle with somebody you know who's armed. That that's not the way it operates. And as as I frequently say. You know, it's, it's entirely possible that police officers, when they're doing things, can be wrong. But my advice is always just simply comply. Do what the officer tells you, and then it, then there's time to sort it all out. If they're wrong, they're, they're wrong. But in this particular case, if the district attorney would have brought charges, there is absolutely no way in God's green earth that you would have ever secured a conviction. Now, I guess maybe the, the course of least resistance is to say, okay, I, I'm going to bring charges and I'm going to let the jury decide. But we've seen how that has happened, has that, how that's worked out in other states where that's the decision the prosecutors make. And then ultimately, you know, people get outraged when the jury acquits them. In this particular case, I, I just, it's hard for me to fault it is impossible for me to fault the decision that the DA made. Let's talk to Presley in Milwaukee. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, uh, my name is Presley Carlisle, and I'm calling, man. I'm, I'm listening, and I agree with everything that the uh, previous caller stated. I mean, that you should always follow the commands of a uh, police officer. But I heard, the way I heard the story was, was that this guy was equipped with body with a body cam and he didn't have it on? And then they said that the, the officers they have body cam, but yep. they're not required to turn it on. If that's the case, 
that's a problem because, I mean, we, we get in these situations and then all you got is the policeman's word. The other guy is dead. I mean, if you got the body cam, turn the body cam on. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that was the way I heard it. And if he had the body cam and he didn't turn it on, that's a big problem with me. And I'm not saying that the officer did anything wrong, but if you got the body cam, mm-hmm. turn the camera on. That's what it's for. Okay, well, Presley, th- thanks for the call. I, th- this is my understanding with regard to the body camera. The officer, and, and matter of fact, the report covers this. The officer did, in fact, have a body camera. And the officer did, in fact, say that he'd used the body camera before. This is what the officer said happened. Um, he Now, keep in mind, this whole thing happens boom, 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 boom. Uh, it happens under a circumstance where they go to pull over the, the bike. The bike takes off, and then the kid drops the bike and starts running on foot. The officer gets out of the car. The officer said he was not able to manually activate the body camera because I, I, all of a sudden, like he, he's he's jumped out of the car and he's trying to run run the kid down. He said this all happened at once and he didn't have the opportunity. He's trying to call uh, he's, he's trying to call dispatch. Hey, I, I've got a foot chase going on. The guy has run on me. He's running. Officer said just this all happened immediately and I didn't have the opportunity in that split second to turn on the body camera. And the, the, this is what actually the district attorney's office says. A body camera recording would have been helpful. However, um, the DA says, I can find no indication that the failure to start the body camera in this incident was intentional or done for any nefarious purpose. I mean, for people who don't know this, that police officers, the body camera doesn't run, you know, 24-7. What they do is they're... at least for most police officers, they, they, I don't think anybody just leaves it on 24-7. They, they turn it on when they're about to have an encounter. Like, for example, if somebody's making a traffic stop, frequently they'll activate the body camera as they're going up to have the interaction. In this particular case, the guy runs and the police officer says, look, I got out. My first job is I'm chasing him. I'm carrying my radio. I'm trying to radio in for help. I'm trying to run this guy who's now running away down. I just didn't have the opportunity to stop and activate the body camera I'm trying to catch him that's that's what his explanation was you can you know buy it not buy it but that's the explanation and I guess I'm in a situation here where under these particular circumstances again the the message is not that the police officers are an occupying force out to shoot people it's that if the police tell you to do stuff do it if you're carrying a gun you know Drop the gun when the police officers tell you to do it. Don't reach for the gun if you're in a hand-to-hand struggle with police officers because you know what? Bad things can end up happening. There, there, there's no winners in this thing. The kid is dead. The, the officer's going to have to live with the consequences of what he did for the rest of his life. There's no winners at all in this, but a crime committed by the officer, I just don't buy it. When we come back... Huh, a liberal Canadian politician, well, gets the kind of attention he probably doesn't want. Stick around. So very glad to have you with us. By the way, we've got uh, a somewhat abbreviated show today. The Brewers last weekday, I believe it's the last weekday. No, I think they might have a weekday afternoon game next week, too, when they play in Cincinnati. The Brewers are tied for the second wild card spot. 
but a game and a half behind Washington for the first wild card spot and three games behind St. Louis. Uh, Ten games left in the season, all extremely exciting. And the Brewers play game four against the San Diego Padres. Uh, the first pitch is like 310 or 315 this afternoon, so our coverage starts right after the 230 news, so stick around. It's become an exciting way to see the season end. Uh, I tell you, I... I I wrote this Brewers team off a couple months, about a month and a half ago. Nothing would make me happier to be wrong on that particular prediction. So, go Brewers. This is Jeff Wagner, so very glad to have you with us. All right, Melissa, I have the answer to the question that I no doubt that the that no doubt kept you up all last night. You have me intrigued. All right. We actually discussed this yesterday. Remember, we spent time talking about the moron who defaced oh, yeah. the, the, the Crusher statue? Okay. <laughs> the tattoo guy. Right. Okay, so for people who haven't been familiar with this, mm-hmm. um, and again, this is, I, I, I put out his picture on, on Twitter. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 And my, my general conclusion was, if you are on probation for armed robbery, just some free legal advice from a recovering attorney here. If you're on probation for armed robbery, you are well known to South Milwaukee police. It's probably best not to take a brick and deface a statue um, in front of a surveillance camera. I'm, I'm just saying. Not now a that, good idea. Right. Exactly. Now, you know, you don't you don't like I say, as I was trying to explain yesterday from pro- a prosecutor perspective. Sometimes there's cases that are really, really hard. And sometimes you got to work really hard to make the case. And other times there's kind of like low hanging fruit. And my guess is. Well, this was this kid was like low hanging fruit. You know, his explanation again, he's on paper for armed robbery. Um, His explanation for all this, and his name is James Dudgeon, 18 years old, Mm -hmm. was that he thought he was he was being cool. It's it's like the definition of cool has changed. (laughs) Exactly. All right. But but here. Right. So but but here's what we were discussing yesterday. And and you can see this in his picture and his mugshot. His picture's all over. But, you know, again, I, I put it out on the Twitter account under his left eye. He has and and these are. These are big butt letters. I mean, this, you know, some people, you know, you have tattoos or you have whatever's and, and they're, they're kind of like small. Like this petite, is, this is, this right, is huge. Starting almost at his oh, nose no. under his left eye and then running all across the side of his face to his ear. He's got the word Milwaukee printed on his face. He must be proud. On, yeah. I'm, and my thing yesterday is what, what happens if he moves, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know but, but anyway, but it, but it's, it's, it's big. Yeah. And again, I, we had a discussion yesterday about whether it, it was actually, was it a tattoo? Or if I it called was it a tattoo. Stenciled. Right. Or a stencil or something like this, because on the one hand, it kind of looks like a tattoo, but on the other hand, you're thinking, I'm wondering, who would be stupid enough to to tattoo yeah, the word oh, Milwaukee across the middle of your face? Yeah, and it's a bad tattoo. It, it's really bad. Yeah, with, with all right. It, yeah, it, it's not even a good Milwaukee tattoo. No, it, it's not. Matter of fact, I have um, uh, there's I have a my, my brother got a tattoo. He's, he's actually got two. I mean, yeah. this was kind of like his mid, one of his many midlife crises. And you know, and he, so he gets this. He's got this big tattoo on the back of his <laughs> leg. Got the you're going. He, and he's like. You're not going to believe this, but I'm down there getting the tattoo, and you know one of the guys that owns the tattoo parlor comes in and says, 
Are you Jeff Wagner's brother? Oh my gosh! Oh, we we listen to him all the time. Yeah, you know, we love the show, and so I mean I, that that that's great. You so know? did you go down and get a free tat? Uh, no, no ink on no no ink on me. No ink on you. No yeah. ink on me. Absolutely. But in any event, I would tell you this: if I did ever reach a point in time where I decided I was going to get a tattoo, I guarantee you it wouldn't be a tattoo across my face or a teardrop near your eye. No, 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 no. And this is okay. So, but yesterday. We were, were speculating, and again, see, I kept thinking, this can't, it looks like a tattoo, but it can't be a tattoo because, well, at least, I, I hope you would have a waiting list. I mean, there, there should be a waiting period before, if you come in and say, I want you to put Milwaukee across the side of my, front of my face, there should be a waiting period. Or the tattoo artist should say, uh, are you sure you want to do that? Or, or, or do you want to be that artist that did that? Oh, I don't right. think I would want to oh. be associated with that. Well, that's the that. other thing. I've never had this done but I mean, they 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 had needles and stuff. I oh, mean, I, yeah. I you know, right under my eye. Eh. Okay, but anyways, our our conversation yesterday, and we were getting all sorts of input, and you and I were discussing it. Is was it in fact a tattoo? And I thought it was, or maybe in you know, maybe we give the kid more credit. Maybe it was a stencil or a henna thing that you would wash off mm-hmm. or something like that. Well, I now have the definitive answer. Uh, Journal Sentinel is reporting they, they do an interview with the south milwaukee police chief william jessup um he said and he's talking about the you know the investigation how mm-hmm. they caught the guy and like i say with all due respect to the south milwaukee police department and i'm not criticizing them at all some cases are easy to solve some cases are difficult <laughs> this was not exactly a tough not one not a to hard solve. one right. yeah okay so he addresses the question he said um you know many people are wondering about the quote-unquote distinct facial marking on Dudgeon's mug shot. A.K.A. The, right, Milwaukee. AKA, A.K.A. the stupid mark across the guy's <laughs> yeah. face. Okay. Um, and he says, yes, it is a real oh. tattoo on his face. So, oh, that's so sad. It, <laughs> it's just sad. It, I, I right, don't get it. It is. Right. Yeah. You know, and again, this isn't. I understand tattoos can be a work of art, and I'm, I'm not judging people who, who choose to have tattoos or people who choose to make their living by doing tattoos. I, one, I get it. Not a work but, of art, right? Yeah. Milwaukee on on their face. I mean, it. Well, there are places you can go now to get that taken off, or at least yeah. lessened. I don't know. On the face, it would be very painful. Yeah, I would and, think. But and, and it's I I've, I have been it's saying, expensive. See, I've been saying this for years and years and years. If if I ever run across anybody who comes up with a painless and completely effective way to remove tattoos, I'm going to invest. Because, I mean, I I know there's ways they can do it, but... You know, it's, it's more of like a, a burning process, right? I believe, and yeah. and you know, leaves marking and stuff. I mean, I'm talking, and and I mean, and I'm I'm not. I mean, okay, if you're going to get Milwaukee tattooed on your face, I don't know what else you can do about it. But you know, it's it's you know, God knows what other tattoos the guy. And that's the thing. Yeah. What other tattoos does the guy have yeah. on other parts of his body? If you're putting Milwaukee on his face, but I mean, I've I've always believed that. You know, there's maybe you make this decision when you're 18 to get a tattoo on a certain, you know, on a certain part of your like body, your and, hip or your you right, know, or or what, or, or your or your, you know, if you're a woman on your breast or something right. like that. But I mean, this, the, the reality is, 
our bodies all change you know, over 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 the years, and yeah. and maybe something that you liked and thought great at, it was great at the age of twenty, maybe at the age of fifty or sixty, it doesn't look so well, great. And a lot of people get it in places that you can cover it up if you want to be professional. Right, you, know, you have to see right. it every day. So clearly, this guy wasn't looking for a professional job. Right. So <laughs> I, so that's why I've always thought from a tattoo and you know if if you could ever find like really painless and yeah. really effective and good ways to do it because just again maybe you're just get tired of it or whatever. Hey, this looked great when I was 22. Right, right. Yeah, now that I'm 62, it doesn't necessarily look so great. Or you always have the inevitable situations where, all right, I, I'm, I'm getting my first wife's name tattooed on my arm. And then the operative thing was first wife. And then you know, 15 years later, uh, you've moved on Not to other things. Well, yeah. it's just, I know somebody who did that. I know someone that did that too. I'll tell you the story off the air. <laughs> okay. I, well, I, I, yeah. I tease my friend mercilessly on that, just mercilessly yeah, not a good about decision. that. What were you thinking? Yeah. And uh, all, all you get kind of is, is the, the shrug. No, I'm not, I'm not going to name check him. I'm not going to name check him either, but I, I do tease him. So in any event, if you were listening to our conversation yesterday and you were wondering, okay, that big honking Milwaukee on the kid's face, you know, what was was it a real tattoo or not? Well, according to the South Milwaukee police chief, yes, it was a real tattoo. Huh. All right. Back with more in just a moment. Is there a statute of limitations on bad behavior? The latest guy to get trapped up in the political correctness, brown face, black face issue is the premier, the prime minister of Canada, um, Justin Trudeau. Uh, Pierre Trudeau, uh, former prime minister, he was... He was he's Justin Trudeau's father. Justin Trudeau has been viewed by many over the last several years as being the the, the great liberal hope, liberal prime minister. He's been applauded by lots of people in Canada, at least up until recently, for his willingness to stand up to Donald Trump, et cetera, et cetera. Big advocate for free trade. He's coming in. There's an election in mid-October, I think October 21st, and it, it if six months ago, eight months ago, people would have thought he would be a shoe in. The election now is very much up in the air because he's been involved in this huge scandal. The former attorney general for the, the state, uh, for the country, uh, has him on tape pressuring her to halt a criminal prosecution into a, a company in Quebec. There's a company in Quebec that allegedly committed these, you know, various crimes. And, you know, he's on, she taped him telling her essentially, you know, knock this off. You know, I, I don't want this company prosecuted. And that's all become public. And now there's this huge corruption investigation, et cetera, et cetera. You know, th- th- should the prime minister be telling the uh, attorney general, you know, don't investigate or don't prosecute people who committed crimes. That So before the latest revelations, whether or not he was going to get reelected is kind of up in the air. Well, Time magazine reports, I believe yesterday, that in 2001, when he was 29 years old. So, I mean, it, it's not like he was 15 or 18 2001, when he was 29 years old, he was a teacher at this academy in Canada. And the there was a party. It was called the West Point Gray Academy in Vancouver. And there was a party, a costume gala at the, the, at the school. 
And he, the theme was Arabian Nights. Follow me? So kind of like Aladdin and that type of stuff. He showed up dressed as a character from Aladdin. And, you know, so he's got the big old turban on. He's got the robes. And he's also, you know, in brown face. So he's, you know, painted his hands. He's painted his face, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's a picture of him kind of grabbing at a woman who they describe as, as a very close friend, which I would say, yeah, I bet she was. But the the this was in, like, one of the yearbooks. Now, I don't understand how it took so long for this to surface, but it is now surfaced. So there's the picture of him in brown face, 2001. As it turns out, there are apparently, this is not the first time that he has been in brown face, and apparently he did it once in high school and at least in one other times, but on events, occasions where he'd go to costume parties, he, he would put on the brown makeup. But now there's this controversy. This is 2001. He has acknowledged that it is him. He has apologized. He said, look, I, I just, back in 2001, I didn't realize that this was, was racist. I mean, I was just, I'm attending this theme party. I didn't have any, you know, evil intent at all. He says, I appreciate that times have changed. I appreciate that, you know, many people now do consider this racist. I think it was racist, but it was not my intent. It just, it wasn't on my radar screen. I am sorry. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is there a statute of limitations on bad behavior? Guy says, yeah, I did this. It was 2001. It was 18 years ago. He's an adult. But he said, look, I, it was a costume party. And, and I went as a character, you know, from from the movie Aladdin. And, yeah, I was getting myself in full character. I did not intend this as a racial sort of thing at all. I didn't even think about it. All right. Do, do you buy that? And should we hold that against him in 2019? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this. At my, ex, my answer, I think I'm consistent with other situations like this. I, maybe my response is going to surprise you, but I want to know what you think. All right. Should, should this end this guy's political career, the fact that here you have this great liberal politician who's now seen in brown face from 18 years ago at a costume party. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. And this is Jeff Wagner, Rick in Milwaukee. Rick, what do you think about this latest flap about brown face makeup? Well, I, I don't think it's racist at all, to be honest with you. It's just it's something that somebody was doing to dress up for a, a, a party, a costume party, give it. And mm-hmm. some costumes require some other color and things like that. You know, I don't think there's anything racist about it at all. You know, I think so many people nowadays are like so hung up on this whole racist question when it should be just, look, accept people for who they are. That's fine. You know. Well, I guess I I think, I mean, uh, thanks for calling. I mean, look, I hear, I think intent matters. I I guess if, if he... If he had gone to the party dressed up in, in in like a KKK hood or something like that, I think you could clearly look at it and say, okay, th- this is this is racist. Look, I, I I have no love loss for Justin Trudeau. I hope he loses the election, but I, I do want to be consistent in this thing. Okay, it's two thousand one. I understand he's twenty nine years old, but it's it's an Arabian Nights party. He goes dressed as a character from the particular movie, and I think he was just trying to get in character. I I don't. 
I, I just nobody suggests that this was done in an effort to try to you know mock you know other ethnicities or anything like that. He was just trying to imitate the character. I mean, heck, you, you look at the and this is one of the things that drives me nuts about this whole thing. You look at Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, Jimmy Kimmel used to do this all the time, and hardly anybody says anything about that. I got no love lost for Justin Trudeau, but I see no intent to be mocking towards you know people of Arabian descent. He was just it was the theme of the party and he was trying to go along with it now you know in in retrospect you know was it perhaps an ill-considered decision but i don't know in 2001 i don't know maybe it's not as i don't think it was as big a deal as it is in 2019 you know what's acceptable kind of changes i look at intent and i'm not seeing anything that tells me he intended to be racist marie in hartford marie here in wtmj hello hi marie hi I just think that um, it depends. I don't really think he meant to be racist, but because he's a big liberal, I'm sure nothing will be done about it. But if it was like President Trump (laughs) back in his um, college days, I'm sure they would call for his impeachment. Well, I, there, I mean, thanks. There's, there's no question. There, there is a double standard that's out there. You're, you're absolutely right, and that's one of the reasons I want to try to be consistent about the, these type of things. I think there is a statute of limitations on bad behavior. I think times change, and I do think you have to look at what the intent is. And the fact that the governor of Alabama in 1964 at a sorority rush or something, you know, might dress up in a certain fashion, that doesn't mean that she's you know a racist in 2019 what is acceptable changes over time our societal standards change over time and again i have no love loss for justin trudeau i hope he loses the election i hope the conservative party wins i'm just saying I don't think this is something that says, oh, we know in his heart he's racist. My guess is in 2001, he thought, hey, this is an Arabian Nights theme party. This is a great costume. I don't mean to offend anybody. And you know what? The truth is, my guess is back in 2001 when he showed up here, nobody was offended by this. Everybody said, oh, that, that's great. That's You come as the character out of the movie Aladdin. I, my, that's what the reaction was. Now, okay, if he did it in 2019, now that we have our woke sensibilities, maybe it's a different story but I tell you as much as it pains me to say this I'm cutting Justin Trudeau a break on this one this is Jeff Wagner live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City this is the Jeff Wagner show and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner so Melissa you know, last week we were on our Rhine River cruise, yes. but before that we started the cruise off. We had a couple of days in Amsterdam, so yes, we, we yeah. were in, and I I'd never been there before. I absolutely loved Amsterdam. So you, just, that was a favorite for you. I just I I loved it. I mean, it was a city that had a pulse. There was all sorts of activity going on. Of course, you know, you do have like every third store is like a, a marijuana dispensary yeah, yeah. and stuff, <laughs> and, and you you go into some of these bars, and it's interesting because some will say you no know, no. No, no, no smoking dope while you're in the bar yeah. and stuff because they try to keep that separate and all. Everybody smokes, period. I mean, it, it was, you, we walk through these like back alleys, all these like back alleys and small things. And I, it took me back to 1976, like at, at concerts and rock concerts because it's the overwhelming smell of, of dope and things like that. Um, the other thing that we did in Amsterdam, and this is another, another side of my, my beautiful wife, um, she wanted to go to the red light district. I was just going to say that. So when I think of Amsterdam, everyone always thinks, 
precincts of the red light district. Well, it was about, <laughs> it was, I mean, it, I mean, it's in the, it's but I mean, a, it's something that people, uh, well, people want to see. And it's a huge tourist mm-hmm. thing. I mean, when, when you go there, my guess is 20, 30 years ago, it was probably really seedy and now it's kind of seedy, but it, but it's a huge tourist thing because sure. every, they've got it on the map. This is the red light district. So, you know, I mean, it, you know, we, we went, we went to the Van Gogh Museum. We went to the Anne Frank House. And then that night, I think it was like a Saturday night, we, we went with a couple other group. We went with a couple other couples, but lots of people from That's our group were finding their way. Yeah, exactly. Anne Frank House, I, the, Red Light District. Right. It was not <laughs> lost on me. So it's this huge area. And what they are, there's lots of cafes and bars, and there's these sex stores, um, you know, where you can. Sure. I did not go into any of them, but presumably you could buy any Adult anything. shops. Adult yeah. shops. Yes, exactly. But then you, you kind of. Again, it, it's these small European streets, and you start walking down these streets, and you will come to some of these streets where there are all these tiny storefronts, and in in the windows are various ladies, some young, some middle-aged, some older, you know, in various states of, of undress who are just dancing around in the, the storefront windows, you know, and, and it's all red lights. They're all, it's all red lights, one after another, and, you know, there's... You, if so, this may be a little naive of me, but do you just sit there and you watch the ladies? Oh, and, oh, oh no, 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 you no. can go in and well, right. That, that's, okay. that's the, the, the purpose is <laughs> gotcha. they are trying to attract you to to go in because you go in. They, they all have like doors off to the side, sure, and you sure. go in, and then you you can kind of see there's like a bed in the back, and they they, they pull the oh, curtains. Wow, so apparently, yeah. when there's stuff going on, uh, when they have customers, they pull the curtains, which was always kind of the more intriguing thing to me. I'm kind of standing and think, what's going on behind there? Yeah, but you know, it, it's block after block after block and you know and after a while there's kind of a sameness to it and i think um both fran it's, it's kind of sad you know i mean i was gonna it, say it, yeah it's, it's, i mean that, that's the overwhelming thing it's sad but definitely. it's but it, it's it's definitely something that that you see you know and go huh this is this is kind of interesting so here. prostitution is legal in amsterdam it, it must be yeah. yep I, it yeah i'm, I'm sure I'm it's a, licensed under the assumption stuff like that. That... absolutely but but it is I, I bring this up only because it's it's sort of a Amsterdam is a town that has every lots of, lots of history and lots of great squares. And I, I I enjoyed it quite a bit. But actually, that was just the, that was the lead in to something that I want to discuss, uh, because Amsterdam to me was a real city. It was if you've ever been to Venice, Venice, and I, I didn't really particularly like Venice. Venice, it, nobody lives in Venice really. People, you know, come. Venice is a tourist thing. There's hotels. There's restaurants. And the people that work in Venice, generally, they, they don't live in Venice. They, they, they come in. in. Amsterdam, people live there. It is an actual city, and it is a thriving city. And there's restaurants, and, yeah, you've got the red light district, and there's museum stuff. But there, there's all sorts of things that are going on. And you walk down any street, and there's restaurants, and there's bakeries, and there's you know stores that you can go in, and you can buy, like, your sundries. People actually live there. And, you know, where people are going to live in particular places, if cities are going to thrive, you need to have stores that, that fill their needs. Yes, you need to have the fancy restaurants. And, yes, you need to have the boutique boutique shopping. But if people are going to live there, you also need you need the convenience stores. You need the places that people can go in and buy shaving cream and buy deodorant, buy soap, and, and that type of stuff. You, you need it to make the city work, which brings me – to what something that is going on in Milwaukee now. The third ward 
city of Milwaukee is, of course, you know, that it is one of the new hotbeds. Lots of development, lots of hip and trendy restaurants that are there, boutiques. You've got a lot of, you know, people who are moving in that are living in that immediate area. All right. Well, here's one of the things that's going on. There is some vacant storefront space on Broadway. Um, actually, like right around like 329 to 331 North Broadway. This would be Broadway just to the south of where the public market is, right? So, you know, the heart of the Third Ward. Dollar General. Okay, Dollar General, one of the places that runs a dollar store. They want to open in this vacant storefront. They want to open something. It's the, one of their new small format you know, DG, DGX, which I think is Dollar General X stores. So what this store would do is it has like packaged salads and sandwiches. Um, they sell, uh, so you sell stuff from like a market type of thing. They also, I think, have like sundries and stuff like this. Soda fountain, a coffee station, grab-and-go sandwiches, limited assortment of grocery offerings, pet supplies, candy snacks, paper products, home cleaning supplies, and a health and beauty section. So you can buy your deodorant. You can buy your shampoo. You know, you can buy that type of stuff. All right, so you, you get the idea of what it's going to be. It's something that serves the needs of people who live in that area who are going to need to buy soap. And, you know, maybe they want to go and get the grab-and-go sandwich. This has become controversial because apparently there's a group of other merchants who live in the area who don't want this store there. They say, well, this is what the Journal Sentinel reports. One of the guys says, well, we, we don't believe their business model belongs in the third ward. You know, we, we think if they're running grab-and-go sandwiches and things like this, well, you know, it, it could take business away from, you know, the, the public market. We want the Third Ward to be a boutique shopping destination with national retailers. We don't want to have one of these dollar generals there. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, I, I, I'm in Amsterdam, this thriving city. And I don't know that they had Dollar Generals, but you know what? They had lots of stores like Dollar Generals mixed in with the high-end boutiques, mixed in with the restaurants, because you know what? There were people that actually lived there, and that's where they needed to go to buy their deodorant and their soap and their shaving cream and their grab-and-go sandwiches. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I think the third word is great, I, but people are living there. But if people are going to live there, they need places like a Dollar General store that they can walk to to buy the sundries that they need. And this snooty attitude of, well, we don't think they belong. This is we we want national retailers and we want high end, uh, you know, expensive restaurants and stuff. That's all well and good. But if you're going to have a thriving city, don't you need some of this other stuff as well? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think these people who live in that area, they should be welcoming Dollar General on their hands and knees because it's something that, again, might help improve the quality of life for all the people that are living there. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Zach in Waukesha. Hi, Zach. 
Hey, Jeff, how's it going? Good. Okay, so some people down in the third ward said, we don't want a Dollar General here. I mean, we, we want the national boutiques, and we want the expensive restaurants. Yeah, you know, this. Um, I don't know if you remember this. This was years ago when they were building an Aldi in Brookfield, and Bro- people in Brookfield didn't want an Aldi um, because, you know, they didn't. They wanted to be a little higher end or whatever. Right. Well, now they're making the Aldi bigger because they just love it. So they love it so much. Um, I mean, I've been I've lived in big cities before in Scotland. Uh, and they have pound land. You know, they don't use a dollar over there. But I didn't use it all the time. But it was great to just walk in. Yeah. Give them some money, grab some deodorant and a sandwich, and get out of there. I still went to the grocery store. That was the main place right. that I would go to. But. And also, have you had have you ever had lunch in the third ward for the people who work there? If you forgot your bag lunch and they had to go to a restaurant, you're looking at twenty bucks at a minimum to get right. lunch. Like, why don't I can't why can't I just grab a sandwich for a little bit? And I'm not going to do it every day. Right, exactly. No, right, right, right. Thanks. I mean, yeah, what's you, you've got all these workers that are in that area. What's wrong with having a place that has like grab and go sandwich, you know, grab and go sandwiches or salads or, you know, whatever. I mean, you, it, look, if you're, if you're going to live, if you're going to really turn a place into something that's livable. Now, I understand that, you know, there, there's certain things that you, you know, you're, you're trying to have as a, the overall business model. But if it's going to be a place that people are actually going to live, and that's part of the thing, come on down, live in the third ward, you need places like that. You need more than one shopping center alternative. You need um, you need you need drugstores, and it seems to me that just like whether it's Quick Trip or a Dollar General, th- this is you want a place where somebody can run in and you know again grab that deodorant or grab the soap or grab the shampoo or whatever. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's what cities need. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, how you doing? Hi, good. What do you think? Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, realistically, the consumer will decide. Either they're going to go there or they're not. I mean, that'll that'll be it. I mean, if they don't get any business, well, then that pretty much, you know, right. the deal. You know, I mean, it's it's there's nothing there's nothing wrong. I mean, there's nothing worse than, than government or, or whoever trying to pre-program right. um, a, a neighborhood or a, you know an area or whatever because ultimately. Seems to always fail. Well, right, and fair enough. Now, this isn't government. This is this is area merchants who have decided to turn up their nose and say, "Well, this this isn't part of the business plan. We 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 have we want high end boutiques and we want expensive restaurants." Well, okay, that's fine. I got nothing with that. But but you know, for goodness sakes, it's it's not veil. You know, you want people to live there. All right, here's a text, Jeff. I think the third ward needs a Dollar General. As someone who works right on Broadway, we are constantly saying we need a convenience store for random daily necessities or quick snacks that aren't $8 a piece. I don't think it would take away from the boutique businesses because the people traveling in the area will always go there. Others who live and work can't sustainably, you know, eat uh, some of the things at some of those places every single day. Exactly. It's... You know, it, it, it serves a need. And as our first caller was saying, what you're going to do is that the, the market's going to find itself. If it turns out that, you know, people don't want to go in there, all right, well, the business is going to close. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. You you just, I've been thinking about these urban areas that I've been in lately, the, these cities. And look, I, I, I get it. I understand why people want to live in the cities, not me, but I understand why young people want to live there. But if it's going to be livable, it has to be accessible. And if you're living in the third world, 
reward, okay, you know, maybe it's, you know, one of those situations where you'd like being able to walk a block and a half and being able to buy your deodorant and your shampoo and grab that salad on the way home or grab the thing for lunch. And and this idea that, well, this doesn't fit into our model. It's just not acceptable. I mean, my goodness gracious, how hoity-toity can you possibly B, I think it would fit in extremely well with that area. This is Jeff Wagner. Mark sends me a text. He says, Jeff, they just built a Dollar General in Rib Lake, Wisconsin. It's absolutely wonderful and convenient. I used to have to drive 30 minutes to Medford for basic necessities. Now I only have to drive 10. It's always busy in a town with a population of 910, and everybody is grateful to have it. Yeah, I I think that would be the general reaction. You you, you put a Dollar General in the third ward, right? You know, and I'm not saying you put everything down there being Dollar Generals, but the truth is, if people are living in that area, you need stores like that to complement the high-end restaurants, to complement the fancy bars, because there are people people that are living in that area and they're going to have to walk in and get the grab and go sandwiches and they're going to have to walk in and get the health and beauty products and heaven forbid they might have a cat or a dog and they might need to run and you know get some pet supplies or something like that and this idea that well it doesn't fit our business model because you know we were hoping that it was all going to be I don't know coach stores and you know whatever high-end women's clothing would be and stuff like that it's like you need all of that type of stuff if you're going to try to create a livable environment. I go back to where we started the conversation. I mean, like I say, wandering around Amsterdam, trust me, you saw lots of really, really high-end shopping uh, stores, but you know, around those high-end shopping stores, because people actually live in, those, in that city, you also saw the equivalent of Dollar Generals because people needed to get that stuff. Hey, we're, one final thought before the program ends. We've got an early out today because of the Brewers game. Hopefully the Brewers will win Game four between themselves and the San Diego Padres. Uh, We talked a little bit about this yesterday. Kenosha Unified, they they had made this absolutely idiotic decision. And I'm sorry, there's no other way to describe it. Telling a bunch of cheerleaders that they weren't going to be able to um, essentially engage in a tribute to a a former cheerleader, uh, Kaylee Juga, who was killed. They wanted to do it. The school said, nope, you're not going to we're not going to allow you to do it. And if you do it, there's going to be all sorts of problems. A huge uproar from the community. The school district, I think, was relying on some what I would describe as questionable legal advice. After a huge uproar, uh, the school system has said, you know, when we told you you couldn't do this tribute, well, never mind. <laughs> you know, just, just never mind. Go ahead and do it. And that's, that's the right decision. It is candidly the decision that they should have made in the first place. I guess sometimes what's so frustrating to me about particularly public schools is – they just don't think through the full implications and they don't have any sort of perception about how their decision is going to be portrayed in the real world and what real people are going to think about it. And this was a classic example, but I guess all's well that ends well. Okay, I am out of time. Brewers baseball is coming up in just a couple minutes. 